Welcome to the Nevada Economics Podcast, where we bring together experts to discuss economic issues facing Nevada and the Western United States. We are sponsored by the University of Nevada Extension and the University Center for Economic Development. I am your host, Bob Conrad. On today's show, we sit down with Doug Thornley, Assistant City Manager for the City of Sparks. Joining us is Fred Steinman, a Leadership and Economic Development Specialist with the University Center for Economic Development. Our topic today is the long-term fiscal health analysis report recently commissioned by the City of Sparks and how the city forecasts growth and development. Please welcome Doug Thornley. My role with the city uh, kind of runs the gamut from your traditional internal services like human resources and the clerk's office to um, what seem like externally facing roles in terms of government affairs and interacting with the legislature. Um, but really, uh, my focus there is on, on how what other governments are doing, what the legislature is doing, affect the operations of the city and not so much what the policy-driven outcomes from those, from those uh, institutions are. So we're here to talk about the City of Sparks uh, commissioned, I guess, a fiscal impact analysis. Um, from what I understand reading it, this is something that's required that you need to do periodically. Is that correct? I don't know that it's necessarily required. We did commission a report looking at the city's long-term fiscal health. Um, what we're looking at specifically is if the city were to develop as it is projected and planned uh, using the existing and adopted comprehensive plan for the city, if it were to develop that way over the next 20 years, what impact would that have on the general fund and the road fund? And we chose the general fund and the road fund as, as measurement tools in this case because they're not cost recovery funds. They're not um, you know, impact fees. They're not sewer enterprise fees. Um, they are just kind of the revenue to the city that is driven by changes in population, changes in employment, growth as a, as a concept instead of merely construction. Were, were you part of this study, Fred? Uh, I wasn't part of it, um, but as uh, Doug and some of our listeners may know and understand, I've done quite a bit of fiscal impact analysis uh, over the last 20 or so years, going back to my time as an undergraduate student uh, in the economics department at UNR. Uh, worked very closely with Tom Harris, uh, the director of the Center for Economic Development, uh, Glenn Atkinson, uh, professor emeritus at the College of Business, uh, really to understand uh, the impacts of Nevada's fiscal system, primarily primarily on local governments. Um, as we'll talk about uh, here today, certainly uh, local governments are kind of caught between a lot of home rule and independent decision-making when it comes to how to expend tax revenue, property tax revenue, sales tax revenue, and other sources. Um, but of course, as more of a Dillon's Law state, the legislature only gives local governments so much flexibility when it comes to creation and utilization of a fiscal system from a revenue generation part. Um, and of course, that is challenging for sure, given that local governments like the city of Sparks are responsible for providing a bulk of the day-to-day -day services that individual citizens in the state consume. As I read the report, the, the key takeaway for me, and correct me if I'm wrong here, is that local municipalities are kind of in a, a really difficult position. You're, as you mentioned, Fred, 
meant to provide a certain kind of service, certain level of service in a variety of ways. However, you don't exactly see revenue enhancements because new developments come on board. Is that a fair way to say it? Um, I think it's awfully close. You know, the, the study got commissioned um, largely so that we could help the city council make sound decisions when it comes to the the bigger land use planning um, points. Um, but but I think we've all heard we've all heard the idea that development pays for itself or should pay for itself. And um, largely when we look at impact fees as it relates to, you know, the RTC impact fees or like I said earlier, the, the sewer connection fees, you you, you're, you're, you're able to get a pretty good handle on what the capital improvement, what the capital outlay is going to look like, and you're able to divide by unit or fixture or what have you, and you're able to, to get to a hard number that is pretty close to what construction costs, um, what the impact of new construction is on infrastructure. Um, but what we didn't have a great, and a, a great understanding of, other than anecdotally, is what is the net effect of development on a community inside or through the lens of, of as Dr. Steinman said, Nevada's unique um, revenue system as it relates to, to local governments. And so what we find is that through a combination of the, the distribution formula for C-tax and the declining property tax numbers because of depreciation and because of the property tax caps, um, what we find is that over a 20-year period where the city to build out as it is presently planned, um, you end up in the black in the general fund, but significantly in the red in the road fund. Um, now, as it relates to the road fund, that's not a, that's not a, it's not a cash deficiency. Um, what that number should be understood as representing is if the city were inclined or, or, or the city council said, hey, we're going to continue to maintain roads at the level that they are maintained today, that would be the deficit in what the projected maintenance costs of, of the new roadways would be. So with new development comes new roads. Um, city doesn't build roads, developers build roads, and then we maintain them. And over a 20-year period, um, what we find out is, is that we'd be about $80 million in the red in terms of what it would cost to maintain the road, the new roads at the level we're maintaining existing roads based on the pattern of development that, that is planned today. Coinciding with the state's tax structure. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's, I don't, I don't want to be openly critical. Um, the, you know, the, the, the property tax issue does go to the general fund. The road, the road fund, of course, is, is comprised of a lot of different taxes. Um, and, it, and it gives rise to a, an even more interesting discussion that we definitely don't have time for today. But, you know, how are we going to um, replace fuel tax revenue as we switch over to electric vehicles. Um, so this, this scenario probably does get worse at some point in the future. I don't know if it's the next 20 years, but it does get worse at, at some point without reevaluating how we, how we pay for roads and, and that sort of infrastructure. Um, but yeah, I mean, we are, we are creatures of the state. We have to live within the revenue system that is prescribed by the legislature and the state constitution. 
Um, I think like every municipality, the city of Sparks really does strive to be responsible um, with taxpayer money. I don't, I, I can't say that I, I think any municipality is trying anything else. Um, and, and to that end, the, the, the base for, for this study is how do we make sound decisions today um, to leave the city in a better place in 20 years? I, I would echo uh, Mr. Thornley's comments in regards to the obligation of the role that local governments in Nevada have um, in the world of public administration and public policy. We're kind of caught between the idea of being accountable and responsible and transparent in the resources that we manage essentially in trust for the public, for the public's benefit. Um, but we also have an expectation, again, put on us in local government by the public to be efficient and effective in the delivery of those services. Uh, in a lot of ways, if we look uh, at the state's fiscal system, uh, a good portion of it, especially the property tax system, is a function of statehood, um, which is a fine system when there are three or four people living in the state. It's not so fine when there are three plus million people living in the state and there's a exponential increase in public services year after year. Uh, for me, and Doug, maybe you want to talk about this a little bit as well. One of the things that I found um, very interesting in the uh, long-term fiscal health analysis report um, was the population growth and growth in households for the city of Sparks uh, since 2000 um, uh, to the most recent year. Uh, so between 2000 and 2008, uh, the city of Sparks, its population increased by 2.4%. Uh, for Washoe County, it increased 1.8%. So Sparks certainly as an attractive community, as a community that people want to clearly live, work, and plan, um, is are making Sparks home. But of course, with that increased population and the increased economic activity and the new jobs and the new opportunities for living, working, and playing with the community comes the cost of providing services to that increased population. Um, and I, I think it's a challenge for any local government in Nevada, be it a county, a school district, a municipality, or another entity of local or regional government uh, to bridge the gap between trying to provide services for a growing population, which is critical to ensuring a growing and robust economic base, uh, but also still, again, working within a fiscal system that really doesn't kind of consider what a growing population looks like and how those services and that mix of services has changed over time. Perhaps even more than that, I, I think um, the, the revenue system that is in place today in Nevada requires municipalities to grow to maintain fiscal solvency. Um, and, and what we find is that, and I, I think most people understand this, but certain land use types, as you alluded to, require more services. So residential uses generate police calls and they generate traffic and they you know, require fire services and you end up with paramedic services and it's because people live there and so the increase in population of course does bring more demands on on services um, coupled with as we talked about earlier a, a declining revenue stream from property taxes um, and a and a c-tax distribution system that is not directly tied to um, you know point of sale 
um, there's, there's a complex formula and it involves multiple buckets and lots of numbers, um, lots of variables. The, what you start to find is that in order to assure fiscal solvency um, and not be as dependent on growth is that you need to look at your, your mix of land uses. And the employment land uses tend to um, be fiscally positive is perhaps not the right term to use, um, but, the, but they have less of an impact, less of a detrimental impact on service provision. Um, so, for example, one of the things we found, and, and I'm sure you saw in the report, is that density matters, right? Um, you know, in, instead of single-family residential on large lots where you can get, you know, 20, 20 units on 40 acres, multifamily development is a, is a significantly better play for local government because there are fewer roads to maintain. When there are calls for service, they all go to the same place, um, and so you can you can find these economies of scale. You can find these these efficiencies um, just by saying, "Hey, we're going to develop 10% denser than we originally planned." That, that's a significant improvement in the in the long term outlook for the city. Um, you can say, "Well, we probably don't have enough space planned out as industrial." And so we need to find a way to accommodate that. But we, we probably have too much space planned out as, as retail. Um, and retail is another use that, of course, generates tons of calls for service. Um, and so by, by reducing the number of, of acres that are planned retail and reallocating them to industrial development, you can start to incrementally change this picture. And, and, and what we tried to capture with this with this project is, well, what do we really need? You know, it's planned this way, but, but what do we need? And so the consultant looked at the historic absorption rates and the capture rates for the city of Sparks versus the broader metropolitan region um, and, and produced a, a spreadsheet of, you know, here's how many acres you have planned this way. Here's how many acres we think you're gonna need um, and here's what we think, you know, in terms of job creation is going to require new development versus will be absorbed by your existing building stock. Uh, so from there, you're sort of able to create some scenarios where you could examine hypothetically what tweaks to these variables would do uh, in terms of the long-term fiscal health of the city. Um, so what are the policy implications specifically from this report? that you're going to be taking to the sure. city council? So as, as a result of the report, um, the city council is going to see on Tuesday, November 12th, um, they're going to see a set of fiscal analysis guidelines. Um, you know, for, for certain categories of project, the city requires a fiscal analysis report to accompany the application. And, and one of the difficulties we've historically seen is that, you know, between the economists and the planners and the, you know, the elected officials, nobody can really agree on what the assumptions are when we go through this exercise. And so um, what we've done is, is with the help of the, con the consultant we used to, to create this report, we've created a set of guidelines that have been shopped out to the, to the 
development community and, and the economists and what have you. And uh, we've all kind of agreed on, yeah, we think this probably does a pretty good job of capturing what the economic effect of a, of a proposal will be. And we think this is a solid estimate. Um, and so we are going to bring to the city council for their consideration uh, a set of guidelines that essentially levels the field as it relates to the preparation of these fiscal analysis reports. Um, it'll prescribe what the, what the um, assumptions are and, and how we expect um, projects of a certain nature to, to be evaluated. Uh, and that way, it, it really does generate kind of an apples-to-apples apples comparison from project to project to project, where before it was dependent on which economist you used and what set of data you elected to present. And it was exceedingly difficult, um, even, for the, even for the professionals, to get their heads around what was real and what wasn't. And, and you know, while it's all just an exercise in estimation, um, we thought it was appropriate to to provide the city council with the option of, of adopting a tool that would give them a fair look at, on a project by project basis um, at, at, at what they thought or what we think w will result from certain proposals. Um, I think what's really important though is that we're really just looking at applying this to four main categories of project. Um, so it's not going to be every building permit that comes through the door. It'll be comp plan amendments for sites that are over five acres, annexations, expansions of the city's sphere of influence, and land use approvals for greenfield sites that are larger than 20 acres. Um, excuse me, 20 acres or larger. And so uh, what we're hoping to, to do is help the city council understand the ramifications of the decision-making process and incrementally over time, um, we're hopeful that, that this information will guide the land use planning process and, and help the city council make decisions that will improve the long-term health of the uh, fiscal health of the city. You know, it's one decision isn't going to make or break the city. Some projects are going to be fiscally negative and they're going to have other intrinsic value and they'll be approved. And some will be fiscally positive, but they might not be the right project and they'll be denied. It's not, a, it's not probably a standard that a project will get an up or down on, but it will help the city council and the, and the planning commission make decisions that lead towards um, an improved outlook over over a 20, 30, 40 year period. Now you mentioned uh, property tax caps and I know historically that's been kind of a big issue here and uh, we did see some attempt this last legislative session to address that again. Uh, and maybe this is a question for you, Fred. Uh, do you see that coming back as a, as a potential way to adjust these sources of revenue? Well, I think at a certain point, you know, we have to have a more systematic discussion about our fiscal system and not necessarily just the property tax, um, but all aspects of Nevada's fiscal system uh, and what that means to support local governments, uh, even the state government moving forward in the provision of public services. I, I think one of the major problems with the fiscal system as it's currently designed is it doesn't provide much certainty not only for local governments and public sector agencies but even the private sector uh, there's a fair bit of uncertainty on in terms of how things are going to be valued um, at a 
you know, long-term perspective, if especially if you're, you know, a manufacturer and you're making major capital purchases that are going to last 50 years, you know, you need to know with pretty pretty strong certainty not only how is that going to be taxed and treated from a liability standpoint in year 22 or 37 or year 50, uh, but also you need to have relative certainty in terms of the reliance on public services that you need in order for your business to function within the particular community. Um, so a more systemic and systematic discussion about Nevada's fiscal system and how certainty can be increased for both the public sector and the private sector is probably going to increase in need as opposed to decrease over time. I don't know, you know, I can't speak for the legislature or the state government, but I get the sense that at least throughout local governments in the state of Nevada and from major property owners and developers, that no one's necessarily thrilled with the fiscal system as it currently stands, uh, and that there are areas for improvement moving forward. Um, and, and that idea of certainty is, you know, something that, you know, kind of sparked my interest as reading this fiscal you know, report and listening to Mr. Thornley's uh, list of the four kind of policy recommendations or general areas of guidance, the tools, uh, was I think not only does that provide, you know, the city's planning staff um, and other elements of the city government with increased certainty on how to address certain projects as proposed, uh, but can really provide a tremendous amount of certainty for the private sector and developers. Uh, so that they can understand what the fiscal impacts of their project is going to be relative to other projects for specific pieces of land. Um, and honestly, from my standpoint in the world of economic development, I, I find that is tremendous value out of this report is giving the development community and the public at large a really strong sense of what the fiscal impacts of different types of growth are and how that relates to service provision moving forward. Very good. Um, any final thoughts on the City of Sparks fiscal impact analysis? I think, you know, on, on behalf of, of the city, or at least city staff, we are really excited to bring this to the city council to, to see, um, you know, there's been a workshop and, and we've, we've had some discussions in, in, in public forums about it, but I think um, we're really excited to be taking this step. Uh, we think it really does represent responsible governance, and we're excited to see the tool put into use. Um, and over the next, over the kind of kind of a generation, to see how it affects uh, how it affects the f the fiscal health of the city. I, I just simply echo Doug's comments and you know really applaud the city of Sparks for taking this critical important step. I, I think it's an area where not a local governments in the last decade in Nevada you know have thought about um, and that's probably a function of just the rapid amount of growth that we've seen in Nevada over the last decade in a post recession uh, period local governments just struggling to get ahead of the growth curve, not necessarily taking the proactive step like the city of Sparks is in trying to understand what that growth looks like, what its impacts from a fiscal pers perspective are going to be. And then more importantly, as Doug pointed out in the world of responsible governance, turning it into usable and important and valuable policy tools. Um, again, not only just to benefit the city's perspective, but the community's perspective as well. Very nice. Thank you guys very Thank you. much. Yeah. Great. Thank you.
The University Center for Economic Development was established in 1992 in response to the growing need within the state for economic development research, technical assistance, and educational services. Visit us online at www.unr.edu forward slash business. Then click on the Business Resources tab. Thank you for listening. Thank you.